1989, I was living in Toronto in uh, the Covenant House Faith community. I worked um, with homeless youth uh, in a shelter there. And living in community, we had a prayer life together where it was our practice to attend daily mass at one of the local churches, either at noon or in the evening. We used to go to a church, uh, Our Lady of Lords, a Jesuit parish, which in our community was known for, well, the enthusiasm of the lector and intercessor. He read the apocalyptic literature with a particular verve. And I remember that fall, shortly after the Loma Prieta earthquake, um, that when it came time for the prayers of the people, he offered the following prayer, that he wanted to pray for the people of San Francisco. Though they, San Francisco is a sinful city, much in need of God's wrath. <laughs> I thought of that this morning because it feels a lot of times like mercy and forgiveness is in tension with our sense of justice. That somehow mercy is the exception of justice and justice precludes mercy. I mean, certainly in our world, it often feels like we look to the judicial system for justice. But for me, at least, it feels like the experience of injustice is more common than a sense of justice. I mean, we take away people's time and money and freedom and sometimes their lives to pay a debt to society. And yet, I think if you polled people, they don't really feel like it's justice. Even people that get what they want out of the system often walk away feeling somehow unsatisfied. And likewise, mercy and forgiveness seems like it often is taken hostage by the extreme case, by what is forgivable, or that must you forgive even those who don't want forgiveness or don't ask for it rather than sort of thinking about the daily practice of forgiveness. And it's interesting, today's reading begins with Peter asking how often he has to forgive a member of the church. As often as seven times. Now, Peter is not picking seven out as, a, as opposed to six or eight okay? Seven is a kind of wholeness number. It's a completeness. You remember, creation occurs within seven days. So Peter is actually saying, Lord, must we take it to the full, like the full limit of our capacity, like the fullness of it, a, a full seven times? And when Jesus answers 77 times, he's just upping the ante even higher, and so it's pretty clear Jesus is coming down on a very robust sense of forgiveness. And you might think that he would follow that with maybe the parable of the prodigal son. But we get this parable instead, where at the end, both slaves are in prison, debtor's prison. So, so what gives exactly here? The parable is in sort of three dramatic acts, right? Right? 
we have the beginning of the parable where the king wants to settle his accounts with the slaves, and the first slave is brought before him. And this is all kind of ominous, right? Settling accounts and being brought before this powerful person. Now, anyone who had heard this account in Jesus' time would have been absolutely astonished at the debt of this first slave. 10,000 talents. To give you a sense of context, King Herod, annual income was 900 talents. The entire tax revenue of Galilee and Perea, the two regions that Jesus is preaching in, was 200 talents. This slave is in debt in an astonishing sum. To compare the two debts, the second slave who owes a hundred denarii, which is, a denarii is about a day's wage. So if we were to assign that, say, a value of a thousand dollars, that's not an insubstantial amount, but a payable amount. The first slave would have owed the king six hundred million dollars. So when the slave is asking for more time, I mean, is he going to take an extra shift at the plant? I mean, is he going to work overtime? I mean, it's an absurd request. He would need 100,000 more years to possibly begin to pay off such an enormous debt. And the whole point is, it's an unpayable debt. And yet, the limit of which he's going to ask Justice is to say, can you give me some more time? And the king takes pity on him because it is pitiable for someone to be in such debt and not be able to pay. And so he forgives the entire debt, which is astonishing. We move to the second act, and that same slave, it seems like he's barely gotten out of the hall. Like, he's, you would think he'd just be so dazzled that he probably couldn't even see. But it says he comes out and he sees another slave that owes him that hundred denarii. And he seizes him by the throat and starts throttling him. Pay me what you owe. The second slave does exactly the same thing. He kneels down and says, give me more time and I will pay you. But the first slave refuses and hands him over to the jailer to be put into debt prison. Now friends, debt prison worked like this. You went to prison until your family came up with the money to pay it off. You didn't get time served. And that whole reference to the torturers, well, that's just to create a little more urgency for your family. You know, if you want your loved one back with all their fingers and toes, well, let's get that money together. So this is a very brutal thing that this first slave does to the second slave. 
And so our sympathies have gone from feeling good about the first slave to feeling pretty bad. And in the third act, the king calls him back and says, you wicked slave. And this is where the parable really becomes parabolic, I think. Because this is the part where Jesus equates mercy and justice, right? The king says to him, you were forgiven so much, ought you not have extended that same forgiveness to your fellow slave by your own standards of justice? By your own standards, you should have been merciful because you were forgiven so much and you didn't pass it on. And so, in the end, that first slave gets exactly what he asked for, more time. And he gets thrown into debtor's prison. So it seems like what Jesus is actually saying in this parable and why it's linked to forgiveness is that it's not about our generosity that we're good Christians to forgive others. It's that we have been forgiven so much. And really when we forgive, we declare ourselves for who we stand with. Do you want to live in the world of law and justice and get what you deserve? Or do you want to live in the world of mercy and forgiveness? Because when you live in that world, you bring the kingdom on. You see, it's, it's an act that changes the world. And so, mercy is the measure of justice in the kingdom of God. And by the measure which you measure others, you will be measured. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so the question that Peter asks is really reframed into a much bigger one. Not to an obligation. Not to a measure of our patience. It's a measure of our own forgiveness. And so, in the daily practice of forgiving, you are bringing on the kingdom. And it's telling, it's telling the whole world about who you belong to. And so, when you are asked to forgive, think of it in those terms. That you want to be forgiven yourself and are. And extend that to others.